Dan started last week and took us through the first half of uh, chapter two of Philippians. And today I'm gonna be finishing this chapter and there's a lot of content that I'm going to be working through. And I just wanna set the stage here. There's gonna be some points in this line by line study today that I'll spend a lot of time on. There's some I'm gonna just throw some things in there for you to think about. And I wanna challenge you to go back and read this passage Read chapter two, there's so much truth here, there's so much information here, so I want you, as you go throughout your week to read this, but let's jump in to chapter two, starting in verse 12, we just read it. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved, I, once again, Paul uh, is writing this to the church of Philippi, and he's writing, you, we've heard it through the whole first chapter, we're hearing it again in chapter two. There's deep love here for this group of people. My, the, my beloved, the, the ones that are so close to me, other translations will read, therefore, my dear friends, there's a closeness here for Paul. There, there, there's, a, there's an emotional investment that goes beyond just teacher to student or, or teacher to congregation. There's a closeness here between Paul uh, and this church in Philippi. And then it goes on, as you have always obeyed, as you've always obeyed, Paul is praising their obedience to the truth. As you have always obeyed. I love this because it's a reminder for us as the church today reading this letter that Paul wrote that obedience, obedience is a big part of the Christian journey, is it not? Obedience is what we, we should be striving for. And Christ sets a great example, you know, in Scripture, um, in just a couple passages before, it says that he was in human form. Christ humbled himself to go to the cross. He, he humbled himself in this act of obedience to go to the cross. Christ sets the example for us as the modern day believer. It's not just about hearing truth. Hear me on this, please. It's not just about hearing the message. It's about obeying the message. It's having a posture of, of I'm gonna hear truth and I'm gonna obey it. Obedience is key. It's, it's, it's like when I think of the word and the truth we have in scripture. It's not just the reading of the word of God where the power, it's the, the, the application of the word of God into your life. It's applying it. I think sometimes we get in trouble because we are just reading the holy word, the Bible, as like a story to be read. We're not reading it as a manual to change us from the inside out. We're called to read it and obey. And then it goes on, uh, to say in this verse, to work out. To work out your own salvation. Work out. I, I, I talked about this in the first week of our uh, curriculum, our small group curriculum through this um, passage of Philippians. But this is using a farming term here. To work out means to get from, get the old to the uh, top, get the old soil to the top. I, I grew up around a farm and um, and I worked this farm for a while and we had this plow that would go through the field and it would take the old dirt from way down underneath and it would bring it to the top so we could plant with fresh soil. That's what Paul's saying here. 
that you've obeyed, you've always obeyed, now it's time in the presence for you to work out your salvation, to dig deep, to really work on, not just the surface level things of your faith, but to work out, to work out your salvation. This is not about accomplishing an end game. This is not about getting to a place where you've made it. This is about continuously working out as the believer, digging deeper. What's in me that needs to be revealed? What are things inside of my life that needs to be brought to the surface? See, because here's the truth. Jesus has done a complete work for you. His work on the cross is complete, amen? But he is not done working in you. His work in you is not yet complete. He has done a complete work for you on the cross, but the work that he wants to do in you is continual. Raise your hand if you've made it, you're finished growing. No one, good. If anybody raised their hand, we would have a fun conversation. No one's made it. We are called to continue to work out, to dig deeper. You know, and this is hard for someone like me who even the words work out, stress me out. We're called to work out these things, to dig deep. But I want you to hear me on this church and I'm gonna stay here for a little bit. Put this verse up here, it says to work out what? Wait, here it goes, it's coming. Work out what? Your own salvation. Uh-oh, here we go. I'm gonna preach for a little bit. Work out your own salvation. See, I, I worry I think this is why it's written in this letter to the Philippians as a reminder here, that we can become really good at evaluating and convincing and trying to change someone else. When we are called to first work out our salvation. We, be, we will get really good at saying to this person, this is what's wrong with your life, but then when it comes to our own evaluation, we stay surface level. We'll become really good at comparing our sins to that person that we know sins different than us. And saying, well, at least I what? Don't do that. Work out your own salvation. Care about the work being done in yourself first. I'm not saying we're not called to speak into people's lives. I'm not saying we are not called to speak truth to people. But when we begin to only speak truth into someone else's life and run away from truth in our life, we are off mission. We are called to work this out in ourselves. The things, I'm gonna look, look as Dan says, look at me, look at me. The things in your life that you don't like thinking about. That thing that you do that you hope nobody ever finds out about. That's what it's talking about here. Work that out. Bring it from here to the top. Bring it to the top for him to work on. Your own salvation. Something broke my heart this week. We're celebrating baptisms. Anybody excited for baptisms? Why I think the church needs to hear this message of working out your salvation first, working on yourself before we talk to others. I saw something on social media church that broke my heart this week. I'm not a crier, usually. But I actually cried over something on my phone this week. I was watching, I was scrolling through social media and I, I came across something 
of there was an influencer on social media that had lived a life, trust me, that was not of Christ. Had a lot of stuff that they had done wrong publicly. But I come across this post on social media and I see this influencer in the baptismal tank. Well, now I have to investigate. What is happening? I see the video. I see the confession of faith. I see the Duncan buried with Christ, raised to walk in new life. And I'm beginning to weep at this point because I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for this soul that was once lost has now been found. And then I get to the comment section. This is where I really began to cry. Because I saw confessing believers shaming this person for what they had done in their past. Looking at things that were done before and calling them out on this post, calling this person names, cruel, cruel names, while this person stands in a tank under the covering of the blood of Jesus, confessing that that old person is dead and gone. I wanna hear everybody in here who has a blue shirt on that says all in. I want you to hear me say this as someone who's on stage at this church at this point. I'm gonna speak for everyone. If you are taking this step today and you are saying all in, we don't care where you've been, we care where you're going. Let today be this moment that when you come out of this water, you are saying the old is gone and the new has come. And let us be a church that believes that truth, that we won't look at people's past and call them out on it. Man, it hurt. I hope that we would be a church that wouldn't do that. It says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now this isn't a fear and trembling, uh, this idea of fear of hell or fear of damnation. This is fear and trembling in awe and reverence to an almighty God. To work out one's salvation from a posture of fear and awe of who God is. For God who works in you both to will and to the work of his good pleasure. One thing I love about this line here is it's telling us that when we work out these things, when we grow, when our will begins to change, it brings pleasure to God. That's amazing. That as we change and we grow and we move forward, it brings pleasure to him. And then verses 14 and 16 say this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. First line here, do all things without what? Grumbling and disputing. Sermon over. If we get that, we're good. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. There's a little bit of a, on this passage here, there's a little bit of theories on both camps. Some, some theologians believe that he's addressing grumbling within the church, some people believe he's addressing grumbling towards God, like the Israelites in the Old Testament. But no matter what, he's addressing this idea of grumbling, doing things without grumbling, doing things without disputing, doing these things with a posture of following, contentment, belief that God is gonna take care of you. It's easy for us to fall into grumbling and disputing. 
grumbling and fighting. If we are not careful, it's easy for us as Christians to fall into these things. What causes us to fall into these things? One, the first thing is wanting more control. Isn't it easy to grumble when things are out of your control? When we want control, it's easy to grumble and dispute over things that are out of our control. The second thing is when, we, when honestly, when we, we're not trusting God. If we are not trusting God in our life, it will lead to us grumbling and complaining, disputing. And another one it will do is this concern about self or getting my fair share. Has anybody ever, don't raise your hand because I don't want you to have to confess in front of all these people, but has anybody ever grumbled or complained when you felt like you didn't get your fair share? Yes, we all have. I mean, the thing is, is my kids do it all the time. My kids, whenever there's like one cookie left in the pantry, hey, dad, can we have a cookie? Sure, go get a cookie. There's only one left, split it. It's the funniest thing I ever watched. They'll take that cookie, break it, and begin to study the dimensions of this cookie. <laughs> this one is slightly, when it's held up to the light, just right, bigger than this one. So sister, you get this one, I'll take this one. And we're like, oh, that sounds silly, that's for kids. Oh, is it? How about this? God gives us a blessing, and we begin to examine it and compare it to our neighbors but theirs is bigger than mine, God. Their house is bigger than mine. Their family's happier than mine. Their, their, their bank account is bigger than mine. That what you are giving them, God, is better than what you're giving me. And we will miss out on blessings from God because we're too busy comparing it to the blessings other people have. I want us to get to a place of not grumbling and complaining, but a trust in God that when he says, here's your cookie, we're like, thank you for the cookie. Whatever it is. Let us not be grumblers and complainers. And then it goes on to read here that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation. This idea of blameless can be harmless also. Remember, this is written to the believer. This is written to the believer. It's calling them to a life of blamelessness, a life of holiness, a life of living set apart. It's calling them to this because of the next verse. Among whom you shine as what? Lights. In the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This idea of first, pursue a life of blamelessness and innocence. Pursue holiness so you can be a light to this crooked world. See, the thing about light is light reveals, light guides, and light warns people. Light's warn, hey, something's coming. And as the believer, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to guide, we're trying to reveal, we're trying to warn people that there is a God, there is a Savior, look! But often, our life first is not a life that's pursuing holiness, so when it comes time to be this light, to guide, to reveal, to speak truth, we have so much stuff over us or in us that we can't shine the way we're designed to. You wanna be a light like Paul is talking about here? You wanna be a light that shines to the world? You wanna be a light that shines the gospel of Jesus? Pursue holiness. Pursue a life that's set apart. Pursue a life that fights temptation, 
that battles with the flesh. Then watch what God does. See, we, we flip this thing sometimes. We think I need to go be the light and I put all my effort there. I think the more we put effort into pursuing a Christ-like holiness that we're called to live, he puts us on the platform to shine when it's time to shine. He puts us at the place to be the light and we can shine brightly because our life is not clouded with darkness. Amen? And then it says, holding fast to the word of life, may, that I may be proud that I did not run in vain. See, what he's saying here is it's not about the amount of work you do. It's not about the amount of work you do. It's about the longevity of your work. He's, he's talking to the church of Philippi, the church he loves greatly, and he is saying, keep running the race you're doing. Finish strong, because I don't want all this hard stuff. I don't want all this stuff I've been battling with to be in vain. You have to finish this. You gotta keep going. It's not about just work in the moment. It's the longevity of your work. It's the longevity of your impact, which speaks to the church today. It doesn't matter just what we do now, in this moment, right? It matters what we do for years and years to come. Even for us personally. Does your life, is your life lived in such a way that the impact that you're giving people around you will outlive you? Or will the impact die when you die? Paul is calling them to finish in such a way that it continues to grow. In verse 17 and 18 says this, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, speaking to the, the offering system we see in the book of Numbers, this pouring out of a drink offering, what Paul is saying is the emptying of himself. Even if I am to empty myself, then the next line, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should always be glad. We see the consistent theme of Philippians here. Emptying, pouring, serving, suffering, joy. What? We'll say it again. Empty yourself, suffer, go through pain, go through trials, joy. Paul is saying that even in the midst of me pouring myself out, giving every last Thing I have, I will still choose joy because I have Jesus. And he challenges the church to do the same. Verse 19 through 22 says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be uh, cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who, who will be genuinely concerned with your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father has served with me in the gospel. When Paul is talking about sending Timothy to the church of Philippi, he's, he's making sure they know I'm sending my best. Timothy, Timothy's the best we got. It says, for they will seek their own interests. He's comparing Timothy to other believers. He's letting us, there's people that Paul could send, but they're too worried about their own gain. They're too worried about their own recognition. But if he sends Timothy, Timothy will go to them and pour himself out like Paul did. Instead of these ones who are too worried about their own gain. Gosh, I wonder when I read this sometimes. See, because what Timothy knows for sure 
when you read and you study Timothy, is Timothy knows that when you are putting Christ's interest above your own, that's when you're winning. When, when Christ's interest and in how he wants us to live and how he sees people are above our own desires in the moment, that's when we're winning in life. I, I, when I study the passages like this and I study Timothy and I know that there's other people there that Paul easily could have said, hey, you're gonna be the person to communicate my message. But he doesn't because they, they have their own intentions, their own interests. I wonder myself how many times have I been on the edge of God saying, let's go, let's do something. And because I've had the wrong motives, the wrong interests, someone else has got to do it. Let us be like Timothy, that if God's saying it's time to go, it's time to go be my messenger, it's time that we could go because we are about his interests. Verse 23 and 24 says this, I therefore uh, hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul definitely in this passage here wants to go. I hope therefore it's to send him as soon as I see how it goes with me. I think this passage is important for us, the modern church, because we get to see a little bit of Paul's humanity here. I don't know about you, but maybe it's just me, but oftentimes when I study Paul and I read his writings, there's so much of me that's like, man, I could never be that guy. You ever feel that? Like he is always, like his writing, he's so, uh, he's so strong and so confident all the time. But then I read this passage and I'm like, okay, he's gonna send him as soon as he sees what's going on, as soon as he knows a little bit more about his situation. We get to see a little bit of humanity in Paul here. We get to see a little bit of just I gotta wait and see here. Paul wants to come, but even great warriors for Christ can have weaknesses as well, amen? Then 25 to 27 says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, that I should, let last I should have sorrow upon sorrow. My brother, it says here in this line, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Right here, what Paul is showing us is a job description of Epaphroditus, right? This is the qualifications of the man. He breaks into three categories. He says, brother, which is speaking of the closeness of the relationship. Paul has a close relationship with him. We don't call people brother often if we don't like them. Some of us do, because we have to. But, some, some people are like, uh-oh. But most of the time when we're speaking to someone in a relationship, if, if we're calling them, that's my brother, that's my sister, there's closeness there. So Paul's very close to this person. And then he calls him his, the worker, speaks to the job that needs to be done. Epaphroditus knows that there's a mission that comes with the gospel. See, let's put ourselves here as the Christian, the modern day Christian. When it comes to brother and sister, we do really well. We do really well in this job description. We can be nice to each other most of the time. We can greet each other. 
We can build relationship. But when it comes to worker, now it's time to work for the gospel, we, we sometimes lack. Now it's time to put in the effort, because then it goes to the third one, the third characteristic of a soldier. Speaks to a battle that needs to be fought. This job description is close like a brother. There's a close relationship. There's work to be done, and there's a battle to fight. As a believer, this should be our job description. That we pursue relationship like this, that we work and we focus on the gospel, and we are prepared to fight because there is a battle. There is a battle for the people's hearts and minds. There's a battle for, against good and evil, really. And we are part of that. We are soldiers for Christ and how we live. And then it goes on to read in verse 27, indeed he was ill near death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He became sick, he's just telling them here uh, that he was sick, but there was mercy shown, because Epaphroditus came to support Saul, both in his physical and his spiritual needs at his time in prison. And then he nearly died for the work of Christ says. He nearly died for the work of Christ. But let's read this passage of 28 and 30. It says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all the joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus, it says that he nearly died for the work of Christ. He was a messenger who almost gave his life for the mission God had given him for that moment. When you read the translations of this, the line here that says risked his life to complete what was lacking in service, the, the translation of that risking can be taken all the way down to the original translation which will read, means to express, uh, to open oneself to whatever outcome. The idea of risking here that Paul is writing about means to open oneself up to whatever the outcome may be. Why is that important? Because in risking his life, to opening himself up for whatever the outcome might be for the sake of Christ. That's what we're called to do as believers. We live in a culture where we want to know the end result before we take the risk, right? Okay, God, if you're going to call me into I need to know if there's going to be blessing or I need to know if there's going to be trial. That's not how it works, though. As the Christian, we are called over and over again to take risks, to open ourselves up for the sake of Christ. To open ourselves up for the, whatever the outcome may be for the sake of Christ. Like when you go to work, every day you're taking risks. Do you know that? If you're living on mission for Christ. Because every day there's gonna be that person there at your office or in your cubicle that you can't stand. And every day you have to take a risk to either love them like Christ or not. Every day you're gonna encounter people who are lost and broken, and you will have to open yourself up to take a risk, to share the gospel or not, 
to tell them about the truth of the kingdom or not. Every day, raising your kids, you will take a risk. You will open yourself up to raise them up in Christ or not. Every day, church, you will be called to take a risk of faith, to live for Christ or not. I found this story about this idea of a risk taker for the faith. It comes out of the early church writings. It was actually about 252 A.D., 252 AD, there's this plague. There's a plague that is just uh, like going through Carthage. And it's killing people, a lot of people. And it says in the writings that, that the, the, the pagans, the, the heathens, when someone would die in their household, their fear of the plague, they would just throw the dead bodies out into the street, thinking it would save them from the plague, just to get it out of the house. But then what happens? Now there's just the plague out on the streets. So the plague begins to run more and more through the city of Carthage until one day a young bishop gathers people together, gathers his congregation together, just like something like this. He says, you know what? We need to do something about this. The non-believer is just throwing the dead into the streets and the plague is running rampant. We need to do something about this. And he started a group, a group of um, just a couple men in the congregation. And every day these men would go out in the streets and they would take a risk. They would literally open themselves to getting the plague or not. And they would pick up these dead bodies and take them to burial grounds so the city could stay clean and safe. Every day, and here's my favorite part. You know what this group was called? The Gamblers. The gamblers. This is a group of believers that every day gambled with their life for the sake of Christ. That they would see the church being the ones that are willing to go into the midst of death and despair and say, if I die, let it be Christ. If I live, let it be Christ. But I am here to serve. Church, imagine what happens if this church does that. And we don't have plague. We don't have this, but we have brokenness that we could risk entering. We have addiction we could risk entering. We have mental health issues that we could risk entering. We have all these things around us that we have to make a, a, a moment, a statement. You say, you know what? I'm opening myself up to the potential of hurt or the potential of success, but Christ be the gain. Amen? Which is why I love that we're doing baptism today. Because everybody with these all-in shirts, guess what? You're signing up to be a risk taker. You're really all in. Take risks. Take risks. Open yourself up. Open yourself to be a risk taker for Christ. Church, will you pray with me? Let's pray. We come before you. We thank you for today. Thank you for your time just giving us the time in your word, God. I pray that you continue to speak, lead us through this time. Let us be a group of people that are open to the risk, open, open to the idea of whatever can come, but let it be for you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.